Hi, this is Wilson with Renew Church OC. Thanks for jumping into our podcast. Over the next three months, our new series is called Lineage, and we're going to walk through major characters of the Old Testament from Abraham all the way to Daniel and understand the movement of the nation of Israel. This is important because it's part of our lineage. Our lineage isn't just made up of our ethnic or national identity, but as Christians, it's primarily this Old Testament story. Abraham is the father of our faith. And in Ephesians, we learn that God is making one people, Jewish and Gentiles, into the story of lineage, of how God has called a people to himself. So I hope that as you read the Old Testament, it wouldn't just be stories of dead old Jewish guys, but you would look at it as your own ancestry, as part of your story and the story that we're continuing. Hope you enjoy our new series. All right, everyone, we are looking at the Bible character of Samson. Uh, we've been on a study with the, uh, doing character sketches of the lives of different Old Testament Bible characters, and we come to a very interesting character this morning. His name is Samson, and uh, you're going to look in Judges chapter 13 through 16. Um, this is not going to be an expositional message. Uh, we are not going to look at uh, look uh, intently at you know uh, scripture. Uh, at passages, we are going to actually uh, go around. So it'll be a little bit more topical, um, but I think this survey will uh, serve us well. Well, you know, my favorite book is Divine Mentor. That's one of my favorite books by Wayne Cordero. Uh, if, you, if you are a believer, uh, I highly suggest that you read this book. Uh, it, it, it has done amazing things in my life. Uh, this book, Divine Mentor, is all about how characters and stories in the Bible act as mentors in our lives. So in one of the chapters, it talks about the school of wisdom having two teachers. One teacher is consequence, and the other teacher is testimony. Can we put that slide up? One teacher is consequence, and the next is testimony. Now, consequence is the harder, meaner teacher. Consequence is a tyrant. He's more unforgiving of the two because consequence is when we personally mess up and sin and we experience the consequences of our mistakes. Although we can gain wisdom through consequences, the price is very high. The results can be devastating. And so consequences can leave you injured and scarred and full of regrets. Now, testimony is the wiser, better teacher, because we can learn through others who have made the painful personal mistakes and have paid the devastating consequences. So instead of running through a running into a wall, we can learn from someone who's already made that foolish choice and have suffered the consequences. You see, consequence is the hospital at the bottom of the cliff that patches a person up who has decided to jump. But testimony, testimony is that sign at the top of the cliff that warns you don't jump. Testimony is the guardrail that keeps you from disaster. And so God has placed his professors in the Bible so that they can teach us through their testimony. 
Uh, one of my favorite sports talk show uh, hosts is a guy by the name of Colin Cowherd. And he says this many, many times in the area of sports. He says, be a shining model or a horrific warning. Both work in life. And that's so true. I, and I know he's talking about it in the area of sports, that sports stars can either be a shining model or a horrific warning. But you know, that's so true spiritually as well. Because the Bible is full of shining models and sad cautionary tales. And the Bible gives us wisdom as we study their lives. Now, Samson is that cautionary tale. He is what we ought to avoid as Christians. God uses his foolish choices as a testimony that we are to learn from. So that in studying the life of Samson, we can really focus on one word. And that one word sums up his life. It's the word carnality. Now, carnality is defined as being dominated by the world. Now, we're not talking about people in the world. We're not talking about the geography of the world. We're not talking about the physical world necessarily. We're talking about the spiritual world, the world that has fallen, this sin system that opposes God. And so carnality talks about being dominated by the world, operating along the fallen fleshly pattern of this life. And as Christians... And we've studied this before, haven't we? As Christians, we have been saved from this fallen world. As Christians, we are called to live in this new world, in this spiritual world, in this spiritual life. The gospel life means that we are committed to Jesus, our Messiah, in everything. He has given us his kingdom, the kingdom of God. But carnality is when we still, or we, when we return to those same fleshly patterns that we've been saved from. Carnality is when we feed, or still feed, on those sinful proclivities that we have been freed from. Let's look at 1 John chapter 2. Could, could we put that up? 1 John chapter 2, it says it this way. Do not love the world. Now again, it's not people in the world. It's not the geography of the world. He's talking about the spiritual, right? Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, and this is what he's talking about, everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Notice, here John is speaking to Christians. He's telling them, hey, you need to stay away from this sinful system of the world. Now, the characteristics of carnality are the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Why does he warn us this way? It's because it's easy for us as Christians to fall into carnality. A Christian can get sucked up into this uh, pitfall. And here we see Samson fell into carnality. He fed on these characteristics. He operated along this worldly pattern, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. You know, can I share with you, Samson had such great potential. 
If I could do a Bill and uh, Ted's Excellent Adventures, and I could use a time machine, a wayback machine, and bring back all the characters that we've studied thus far in the Bible, do you know the one I really believe that 21st century Christians would gravitate toward? It would be Samson. I mean, they would think, well, Moses, he's kind of old. I don't really relate with him very well. Joseph just seems too good. Uh, And I don't know if I relate with him really well. The same goes for uh, Rahab. Rahab, you know, she was a prostitute. I don't know if I really relate with her. But that Samson, oh, I really relate with him. I mean, he's funny. He tells jokes and riddles. He's extremely charismatic. And just even his superpower, just even what he's able to do, I really am attracted to that person. And I really believe if we study the life of Samson, we see a person that had more natural talent and more supernatural ability than almost anyone else in the Bible. And yet, even with all that, his life was a tragic failure. He did not live up to the potential that God had for him. Now, why? Why is that? Because Samson was caught up in carnality. And we're going to study his life. Now, really quick, we're going to have to do a little bit of review. Here, Samson was chosen by God to be a judge. We studied what a judge was uh, last week. Uh, Actually, Chrissy did an amazing job with that. But can I share with you once again, Judges is the book of failure. The theme of Judges is failure. If Joshua is the book of victory in Canaan... Judges records Israel's failure in Canaan, their failure to live up to that victory. Now, the key verses that comes up a couple times in the book of Judges is that everyone did that which was right in their own eyes. Let me say that again. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. That's the key to Judges, and that's the key to failure. Now, I want us to look at the cycle of judges. Again, Chrissy did an amazing job. Can we put that up? The cycle is rebellion, oppression, repentance, and restoration. So we see in the book of Judges, this happened over and over and over again. There is rebellion, where Israel turns from God to worship false gods, to live out the immorality of those uh, false gods. And so here, Israel as a nation sins and does what is right in their own eyes. And so because of that, God sends oppression. God allows invading countries to conquer and abuse the people of Israel. And then we see that the people uh, repent. There's repentance. That the Israelites cry out uh, in confession of their unfaithfulness. And they ask for deliverance. And it's that that God sends restoration. God sends to them a leader called a judge to deliver them from the invaders. And so here we come to Samson. God sends Samson to deliver them from their most powerful oppressor, the Philistines. Now here's a question I want to ask. What was the origin of Samson's power? Now, this man, and if we look in scripture, probably the only man that was given this kind of supernatural power and strength in the Bible, what was the origin of Samson's power? Well, if we look at chapter 13, can we put that up? In verse 24, it says, and the woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson, and he grew, and the Lord blessed him, and get this, the spirit of the Lord began to stir him. 
Look at chapter 14 and verse 6. Can we put that next slide up? It says, The Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon Samson so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. Let's look at verse 19. It says, Then the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he went down to Ascalon and struck down 30 of their men. Look at chapter 15, 14 and 15. It says, As Samson approached Lehi, the Philistines came shouting, and the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. Verse 15, finding a fresh jawbone of a donkey, he grabbed it and struck down a thousand men. Now, we look at these instances and we see supernatural power. So that the origin of Samson's power was, the Bible says, the Holy Spirit. God gave Samson the strength to do the supernatural. It wasn't his power. It was the power of God. And I want you to notice this. Samson knew that it was God. He knew that he had the power of God in his life. Samson had faith in the Lord. We see that he never turns from idolatry in the whole story of Samson. He trusted in the Lord. Samson had the Holy Spirit empowering him. So I say this because I want to make this point. Samson was not an unregenerate man. In the New Testament vernacular, he was a saved person. Samson was somebody who was a saved, regenerate individual. As a matter of fact, Hebrews 11 says that he is in the hall of faith and that he is commended for the faith that he had in the Lord. So that begs the question, if Samson were a child of God who had faith in God and exhibited the power of God in his life, then why did he fail to live up to the potential that he had? Right? If Samson was a man who had faith in the Lord, who trusted in the Lord, who had the uh, empowering presence of the Lord on his life, why did he fail? One word, carnality. It was that worldly lifestyle that he fell into and couldn't get out of. And you know, that's the same for us, isn't it? We, if we've trusted in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we're the children of God. We have faith in God. We're given the blessings. We talked about that last week. The blessings of the power of God on our life. But how we live as Christians will determine whether we succeed or whether we fail to live up to the potential that God has planned for us. And see, that's so true. Carnality works to destroy us in our effectiveness as believers in this world. So let's study carnality in the life of Samson. Why did Samson fail? And if you're taking notes, write down the first point. Can we put it up? Samson lived on fleshly impulses. Samson lived on fleshly impulses. What 1 John talks about, the lust of the flesh. Now, we know the origin of Samson's power was the spirit of the Lord, but what was the secret to Samson's power? The secret was found in the Nazarite vow. Let's put Judges 13 up. It says, the boy is to be a Nazarite dedicated to God from the womb, and he will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Now, here Samson is presented as someone who would be a Nazarite from the womb. Now, what is a Nazarite? Well, Numbers chapter 6, this is uh, a few books uh, before Judges. Uh, here we see that number 6 tells how the vow of a Nazarite would be. And the vow of a Nazarite symbolized separation to the Lord. 
There were three things that the Nazarite vow entailed. Number one, to abstain from the fruit of the vine. He or she were not allowed to eat grapes or drink wine or anything of the fruit of the vine. Number two, they could not go near a dead body. They weren't allowed to go near a dead body. And number three, no razor was to be used on their head, right? They weren't to get a haircut. They were to leave uh, their hair long. Now, you might say these are strange rules. Why in the world would God institute these weird rules to somebody who was to be separated to God? Was there magic in them, right? Some people could think, uh, studying this story, that it's a legend and it's talking about magic. That's not what it is at all. These were outward signs that symbolized what was to be in the heart, okay? These were outward signs that symbolized what was to be inside the heart of Samson. Number one, don't consume the fruit of the vine. The Hebrew concept of the grapevine represented joy. And so the symbol was, or the outward rule, was to symbolize to the Nazarite that all joy was to be found in God and God alone. That they were not to find joy anywhere else, but that they were to find happiness and joy in the Lord. Now, in Judges chapter 14, we, don't, we, we really don't have time to look at it, but here we see that Samson partakes from vineyards, and he breaks this outward rule. But you know what? He breaks the outward rule because Samson, if you read his story, all throughout his life is an individual who searches for happiness everywhere but God. He searches for happiness in all the wrong places. Number two, it says, don't touch a dead carcass. The Hebrew concept was to remain pure from sin and decay. So the outward rule to the Nazarite meant that he was to remain free of immorality. Well, we read in Judges 14 and 15 and 16, we see that Sam, or excuse me, sorry, Judges 14, right? We see that Samson eats honey out of a lion's carcass. He disobeys the outward rule. Why? Because we see in his story that Samson involves himself in sexual immorality over and over and over again. Here's my point. That Samson doesn't observe the outward sign because in his heart, he was inwardly disobedient. The reason why it was no big deal to him to forsake the outward signs is because in, in his heart, he was doing all these things. He already was showing carnality. You see, the Nazarite vows are outward signs that really symbolized an inward faith, a faith that all of his life was devoted to God. So although Samson was a Nazarite, he lives on his fleshly impulses. He does whatever. He goes wherever. He lives however he thinks is good to him, what's right in his own eyes. The third one was don't cut the hair on your head, right? So here, uh, Samson, his whole life was as a Nazarite never to cut his hair. And the Hebrew concept of long hair represented submission. So the outward rule of the Nazarite symbolized that he was living in submission to the will of God for his life. Now, I want you to look in chapter 16, verse 17. Look at it, would you? It says, so Samson told Delilah everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me and I would be as weak as any other man. Here we see in this passage, Samson tells the enemy 
Samson tells this Philistine his secret, his Nazarite secret. I think it's interesting. And then uh, let's look in verse 20. They, because of this, Delilah has uh, his hair cut all off. And then what does she say in verse 20? Then Delilah called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And Samson woke from his sleep and thought, and this is what he thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord left him. Isn't it interesting that here he did not realize that God's power had left him? Why is that? Because Samson presumed that he would always have the blessing of God in his life, even while he was living in continual, a continual carnal lifestyle, right? Samson lived a carnal lifestyle. And as he lived this carnal lifestyle, God was still blessing him. God was still taking care of him. And so he took it for granted, oh, I can live whatever way I want. I can live on my fleshly impulses, and I can still receive the blessing of God. And there was a point in his life where it ended in failure. You see, fleshly impulses will always end in failure. Why did Samson fail? Well, number two, if you're taking notes, write this down. Samson lived with lustful eyes, right? What 1 John calls the lust of the eyes, Let's look in chapter 14. Look at it. It says, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. You see, Samson always had an eye problem. His perspective was always on the sensual. Samson's failure always started in his eyes. The Bible says here that Samson saw. The word saw is the idea of stared and gazed and uh, intently uh, looked. You know, the late Billy Graham was asked um, later on toward his life why he had not had any scandals, why he had not fallen into temptation. And you know what Billy Graham said? He said, I never allow my eyes to linger too long. I have made a covenant with my eyes to guard them. What wisdom Billy Graham uh, was able to give us. I never allow my eyes to linger too long. And you know, sin starts by lingering too long at something, doesn't it? Samson allowed his eyes to feed upon whatever he desired. Proverbs 27 and verse 20 says that the eyes of man are never satisfied. When you open the door of your eyes, it leads to so many other things. It's a Pandora's box. The Bible tells us to guard our eyes. The Bible tells us to protect ourselves from those things. You see, it always starts in the eyes. Let's continue reading uh, at the last part of verse 2. I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. His father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among your people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, for she is the right one for me. I want you to notice that Samson wants to marry a Philistine. Right? God forbade intermarriage with the Canaanites. And it was not because of ethnicity. It was because of spirituality. 
Because intermarriage with the Canaanites in the land would influence the Israelites to worship their gods and to engage in their evil practices. And by the way, that's the big reason why Israel kept turning from God. It's because of the idolatry and immorality of the Canaanites that they got caught up in again and again and again. So his parents was warning uh, Samson. They, they're pointing this out to Samson. And I want you to notice what he says. In verse 3, he says that she is the right one for me. You see, in the Hebrew, it's a compound word, right and eyes. Right and eyes. So the literal rendering where Samuel answered his, uh, Samson answered his parents was, she is right in my eyes. Do you remember the theme of Judges? It's failure. Do you remember the theme verses of Judges? Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. It's amazing that Samson's perspective was the same as the sin of Israel in his time. That Samson was sent as a deliverer to Israel, but here he is falling into the same immorality that the Israelites were getting sucked up in. I want you to notice something really interesting. There's a gradual process to failure. Can we put up the chart? In Judges chapter 13 or 14, Samson is in Timnah, okay? That's the closest Philistine city to Israel. It's four miles from the tribe of Dan in Israel. Samson is in Timnah in chapter, in ju- in chapter 14. In Judges chapter 15, Samson is in Ashkelon. That is a major Philistine city. It's a key city, and it's 18 miles from the tribe of Dan in Israel. And then in chapter 16, Samson is in Gaza. He is 30 miles from the tribe of Dan in Israel. He is far away from Israel. I want you to notice something. We see Samson gradually moving away from the accountability with God's people until now he is living his life in the world. Wow, Samson, how did you get there? Step by step by step. It was a gradual move. You don't come to failure immediately. It's a gradual process of compromise with carnality. It's giving in little by little to the world's ways, the world's values, the world's practices, until you are indistinguishable from the world. Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1, I love this. Can we put it up? It says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Notice there's a progression with carnality. First, you're walking with the ungodly. Second, you're standing with sinners. Thirdly, you're sitting with scorners. Walking, standing, and then sitting. We see that same pattern with Samson. Here, Samson walks into the vineyard, and he plays around with his vow as a Nazarite. Next, we see Samson standing in the path of a lion's carcass, and he eats honey from it, unashamed, actively disobeying God. And then lastly, we see Samson putting his head on this Philistine's lap as she sits, and he tells her all about his Nazarite secrets, and he gives away the, the, the holiness of God to this Philistine uh, unbeliever. It's a gradual compromise that led to his destruction. Now, I want you to see thirdly, why does Samson fail? 
Samson failed, number three, because Samson lived in selfish pride, the pride of life. Samson not only had an eye problem, he also had an eye problem. Did you get that? He not only had an eye problem, he had an eye problem. His self-centered perspective was the root cause of his downfall. It looks good to me. It feels good to me. It benefits me, so I'm going to do it my way, and nobody's going to tell me any different. You know, next week, we're going to look at the life of Saul, and we're going to cover the area of selfish pride in greater detail. So we're not going to look too much at this uh, because I want to save it for next week. But I did want to show you one verse, and this is where I want to close. Look in Judges chapter 16 in verse 28. I'm sorry, I don't think I had it up. <laughs> My mistake. I meant to, and I, I didn't have it up. If you want to look it up, that's great in your Bibles. In Judges chapter 16, verse 28, <clears throat> here we see that Samson has failed. He has been captured by the Philistines. They have put out his eyes, right, gouged out his eyes, and now he has been put on display. And now, between two pillars, Samson prays a final prayer to the Lord. And this is what it says. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Wow, did you get that? How telling is his prayer. Samson doesn't pray, I'm sorry, Lord, for my disobedient life. God, I repent of my carnality. I repent that I failed you. You know what he says? He says, hey, God, give me revenge for my two eyes. Samson to his grave was self-centered. You know what this tells us? God hears our prayers, doesn't he? God heard Samson's prayer. We know the whole story that after he prays that prayer, God grants him strength and he's able to knock down those pillars. He's able to destroy that building and destroy all the Philistine leadership. Israel is delivered by Samson through this cataclysmic event, but it hurt Samson, didn't it? It destroyed Samson, didn't it? You know what that tells us? That God is sovereign, that he will always achieve his purposes whether it benefits Samson or doesn't benefit Samson. God will always achieve his purposes. But can I share with you this? Oh, God! how God would have loved to have blessed Samson. Imagine if, God, if Samson would have lived a life that was pleasing to God. Imagine how decorated he would have been. Imagine how satisfied he would have been at the end of his life. But yet here, Samson makes the wrong choices. God still does what he, he does in giving deliverance to Israel, but at the cost of Samson. My friend, the reason I share with you this is I want you to know that God has amazing plans for you. As a Christian, God wants to bless you, but it's all in the choices that you make. Oh, how God wants to lift you up. How the Lord wants to use you and, 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 and give you the blessings that he wants to bestow. But it's all about the choices that we make. Let's learn from Professor Samson and let's see how carnality can ruin the life of a child of God. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, sometimes the most positive things can come from the most negative warnings. And so, Lord, I pray that this warning 
would be attributed to us, Lord. I pray that what was studied here would be an exhortation for us to live a life that is pleasing to you, Lord. Help us not to follow in the footsteps of Samson. And Lord, we pray that your people would confess their sins, that they would repent of uh, the carnality in their lives. And Father, that we would once again follow you wholeheartedly in our vow to you. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.